What are the prizes? They're big prizes, that's what you need to know. They're big. Well, actually they're not, but they're kind of, there are some prizes, yes. Now, what, what you've got here are 20 sort of well-known uh, logos. What you've got to do in your huddle over the next two or three minutes is see if you can identify as many of them as possible and get the person who's operating the phone to write down. Okay, so I'm going to trust you with your own scoring in a minute when we get to go through the answers. So you've got two minutes in your huddle to try and uh, see how many of those you can recognise. I've deliberately tried to make some of them easy and some of them hard, I hope. We'll see. Off you go. You mark your own scores, okay, and then we'll see what scores you got a bit later. So, um, we can shout out. So, let's uh, top left. Top left? Shell. Yeah. Then? Wikipedia. Target. What's target? It's a shopping thing, okay. Uh, then the next one is Apple. Pringles. So, row two on the left? Taco Bell. Yeah, then. Fish. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit naughty. That's Jetpunk who actually produced the quiz for me because I did it on, so that was probably a little bit niche. Oh, you're going to struggle to get that one. Uh, okay, then. Yeah. Atari. Atari. So, third row. Yeah. PlayStation. Pizza Hut. Yeah, it's quite difficult to spot Pizza Hut, but it's just a hat, isn't it? Uh, Amazon. BP, yep. Dolby. Firestone tires. See, I thought that might catch a few people out of yeah. Kentucky Fried Chicken, it did heavy in inverted commas. Uh, yeah. Uh, Xerox and Yamaha, yes. I'll just pull them up. There you go. So, quickly tie up your score, see how you've done. Well, I get the big prizes. Come on. 
See, I told you they were big prizes. Tesco oat brown chocolate buttons, fresh from my freezer. That's giving away what I eat when I'm getting short blood sugar on a Thursday afternoon or whatever. Uh, okay, um, so let's uh, put your hands in the air and then we can put your hand down as I get to the score that your, your button has got. So everybody needs, everybody needs to have their hand up to start with. So let's start with um, who scored five? 10, 15, 16, 17. I've only got two packs. This is going to get interesting. 18. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So just go back to 17 again. Yeah, that's one big team. So this row here, I'm somehow going to have to decide who, who has the top buttons. I can get it from there. Oh, and I think I think this row the front because you were on your own basically, weren't you? I mean, yeah, that's that's definitely right. So a little round of applause to our winners. Sorry, I think that enough prizes for anybody. Now, um, what was that about? Can we remember? Oh yes, it was about. <laughs> I can't remember what the point of the quiz was. About <laughs> making choices, I think. About making choices, yeah, and also it's about when. I, mean, I'm not into, I don't really understand marketing, so excuse me if I've got somebody in the, in the audience who knows loads about brands and stuff. But brands are really important, aren't they, to people who are selling products. So that image is all important. And as we've spotted, in a group this size, we actually did pretty well, didn't we, in working out what the product was just from the image. And our story today from Samuel is about why what's on the inside and what's on the outside aren't necessarily the same but what we see on the outside doesn't necessarily uh, prove that somebody is worthy of a particular role or position is it you now Ruben? i think it's me oh, good now uh, to talk about how saul, how saul became king uh, so um, pay attention because there's another quiz coming up so uh, listen carefully so as we worked out we're not looking at david uh, this week that's next week uh, today we're looking at King Saul, who's Israel's first king. Uh, so how did he become king? So if you were here last week, we looked at the story of Samuel, uh, who was Israel's judge. So he was a leader appointed by God, and God uh, is Israel's invisible king. But now Samuel is getting old, and uh, he has appointed his sons to be judges after him. That's not really how being a judge is supposed to work. It's a little bit like if Boris Johnson said that his son was automatically going to become prime minister after him. So uh, Saul's, sorry, Samuel's sons are, are not very good judges. They take bribes, they are dishonest. And so the people come to Samuel and they say uh, they want a new leader, uh, they want a king. And Samuel is upset about that, not just because uh, they tell Samuel he's old and that they need a new leader, but because of something much more uh, significant. Samuel cries out to God, and you might be wondering what is so bad about Israel asking for a king. Lots of nations had kings at that time in the world. So what was so bad about that? Well, first of all, they rejected God as their invisible king. God tells Samuel, they're not just rejecting Samuel, they're rejecting God as well. And the second problem is the reason that the Israelites want a king. They say, we want a king to be like all the other nations. And if you know uh, anything about the Old Testament, you'll know that God says a lot about Israel being distinctive and being different to the nations around them. But they want their kings, but they can be the same as all the other nations. 
So God tells Samuel to warn the Israelites what it's going to be like to have a king. And Samuel tells them that, that although the Israelites want a king to give them leadership and victory and security, Samuel actually says that the king is going to take their children and their animals and their produce. And if you go away and if you read uh, that chapter, you'll notice how often Samuel says about how this king is going to take things from the Israelites. But people don't listen, uh, so God gives them a king. And then we get the unusual story of how Saul becomes king. It's not that Saul is uh, from a little boy that Saul wanted to become king. Uh, he isn't even looking to become king. There's an interesting story involving some lost donkeys that Saul is searching for, uh, and God brings Saul and Samuel together. And so, in a secret ceremony, uh, Saul becomes king, and then that's confirmed in a public ceremony uh, later on. And we're told several times about what. Um, how good-looking Saul is, how he's tall and handsome, um, and the fact that Saul hasn't planned to become king seems like a really good sign. Um, so Saul becomes king, uh, and after the ceremony, everyone goes home, and Saul goes home as well. He goes back to his hometown, he goes back to the farm that he was farming on uh, before he became king, uh, and most people are quite happy with Saul becoming king. And a few people ask a question, how can this man save us? And then, in chapter 11 of 1 Samuel, a crisis arises where Saul has a chance to show whether he can save Israel or not. And what happens is that a man called Nahash the Ammonite, who is a baddie in the story, he is the enemy uh, of Israel, he comes and attacks a town in Israel up on the border of Israel called Jabesh Gilead. Um, and he wants the people uh, to serve him, he wants to humiliate them and that means that that also humiliates uh, God and God's people. So the people of Jabesh Gilead, they, uh, they send messengers throughout the land to see if anyone can save them from their enemies. And so although Saul is now king, they don't actually come to Saul first, they send messengers throughout the land. Maybe someone can save them, someone can rescue them. And they come to Saul's town and Saul is there. He is out on the farm doing his farming things, even though he's king. Um, and the people weep and well, they don't know what to do uh, in this situation. What would you do if you heard about your friends getting uh, attacked? Would you be able to respond to that? So Saul goes back from the farm, uh, and when he hears the news, the Spirit of God rushes on him, uh, and he calls the Israelites together, and they go and rescue the people of Jabesh Gibeah. And it's a great success. They defeat Nahash the Ammonite. And this is a really good start to Saul's kingship because he cooperates with God. So Saul is filled with the Spirit. This is the kind of person that God can use. And the Spirit gives Saul new power and wisdom to lead God's people. Um, the phrase that the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul, if you read through uh, the book of Judges that comes before Samuel, you'll realize that, that phrase uh, appears several times in relation to various judges, uh, including people like Samson um, and here. So it is reigning like the best of those judges under God's influence and authority. And so it is especially filled for this task, but for us uh, reading this today, uh, the other side of the cross that we were singing about earlier, and the other side of Pentecost, uh, we now, every one of us, have the Spirit of God in us that gives us uh, new strength and energy uh, to serve God and to cooperate with Him. So how might you cooperate with God uh, this week? Perhaps you could ask Him.
The second reason that it is a good start to Saul's kingship is because he recognises that the glory goes to God. After this great uh, victory, Saul has a choice about how to use his new power. He's won a battle on the outside, but he also has a battle to win in his heart against revenge and pride, because people come to Saul and say, well now that you're king, now that you've shown that you can save people, maybe you should get revenge, you should get even with the people who didn't want you to be king. Um, but Saul uh, disagrees, he says no. Uh, he says that uh, the Lord brought about victory for Israel today. So Saul doesn't give in to revenge or pride. Uh, and this is uh, a very good start for Saul. Um, he wins both on the outside and on the inside. Now there should be a question at the back of our minds at this point. Will this carry on? Because uh, in the New Testament, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul tells us about the kind of relationship we need to have with the Holy Spirit. That we don't just need to be filled with the Spirit to have the Spirit rush on us as it rushed on Saul at that time. But we need to uh, keep in step with the Spirit. We need to walk by the Spirit. Uh, we need to have the Holy Spirit abiding in us as we were singing uh, in that last song. And so the question at the back of our mind should be, uh, will that continue as we carry on in the story? And now it's time for a little quiz. So I hope you were listening carefully to that story. Yes, you had to unwrap all the layers before you found what was really on the inside. So in the story, we've got a king. And we've got a king who looks very promising. On the outside, he's taller than everyone else. And he's handsome. And actually, he's already shown us that he can lead the people into battle. So he looks a really promising king from the outside. But as we go through the story, which Reuben and Paul are going to carry on with in a minute, we're going to see whether he's really as promising on the inside as he's shown himself to be so far. Let's see how his character is, which will be shown by the story. Right, so if you're under 12, would you like to come to the back with me and we've got something to do? Yeah, that'd be good. So if you're under 12, follow Karen, and you're going to do something which then all joins up seamlessly at the end. What a plan, eh? Uh, we'll bring it all back together at the end. Uh, that'd be good. Uh, so we've got to this point in the story, haven't we, where uh, Saul seems to have made a really good start. And then in the next chapter, in chapter 12, Samuel kind of does a sort of farewell speech where he, he because uh, he's kind of like the last of the judges, and he's uh, preparing the people again for, you're going to have a king, and it's not going to be plain sailing for you. Uh, but he also takes time to, in this farewell speech to remind the people about all the times that God showed up and rescued Israel. So, for example, he talks about how they were saved from the Egyptians and how they crossed the Red Sea. Um, and he says, life's going to be difficult, but if you, although you've, you've made this uh, foolish choice for having a king if you remain obedient to God God will bless you so there's this, you know, it's quite a chapter 12 is quite um, bits of it you think, you have to sort of concentrate or scratch your head and think, what's going on here but actually what Samuel is doing is saying, remain obedient to God and he will continue to bless you because you are God's people so we get to the start of chapter 13 and a bit like in chapter 11 there's a crisis because the nation of Israel is surrounded by all these other kingdoms who all really don't like Israel. Spotting any themes with modern day life? Uh, things haven't changed massively. Anyway, there's this 
Well, another group of uh, another kingdom called the Philistines, who you've probably heard of from that other king that we mentioned earlier, that rather famous story that's coming later. Well, they were they were they were a bad bunch. But they've always been a bad bunch, the Philistines. And in chapter thirteen, we discover. Okay, we get a situation which quite often happens in the Bible where there are unequal odds and the Philistines turn up and as you can see from that slide it's not really fair sides is it? You've got the Israelites who've got 3,000 in their army and actually I haven't put it on the slide but it's worse than that because their army's actually split so there's 2,000 that are with David and 1,000 that are with his son Jonathan trying to work out where the Philistines are going to invade Israel and on the Philistine side, they've got 3,000 chariots, which in kind of ancient world terms is a bit like saying you've got 3,000 tanks. You've got kind of very mobile kind of troops. The Israelites, have they got any chariots at all? Probably not, because we're not, they're not mentioned. They've got 6,000 people riding the chariots. And then this is the real uh, killer verse in the whole chapter. They've got as many soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That's a lot of people. I think we don't know how many, but I think we can safely say that they're outnumbered. <laughs> yeah, I think it's safe to say they're outnumbered and probably outgunned or whatever the correct ancient world term is. What's the reaction to these unequal odds? Unsurprisingly, if your army's facing unequal odds, they're going to start to get a bit of a wobble, and they're pretty afraid. And, the, and, and it says they do a number of things. In verse 6 it says they hid in caves, and it says they crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad. Hooray, Gads, you're in the bottom. <laughs> and Gilead. And Saul remained where he was, but even the troops that remained with him were fearful. So those are probably the bravest ones, because they're actually staying with Saul, but even they're fearful. So, what's Saul going to do? He's got a choice to make at this point, hasn't he? And Samuel has told him that Samuel will come and do the priestly bit with the army. He says he's going to come and do the sacrifice and the burnt offering, and he needs to wait for Samuel to turn up, because if they do that, then God will be on their side. That the, the victory will be theirs, despite all the circumstances which suggest quite the reverse. So they wait and they wait and they wait, a bit like me waiting for this clicker. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Saul waits seven days because that's how long Samuel said it would be before he turned up. But there's no, in, in the story, there's no sign of Samuel. So what's going on and what's Saul going to do? Saul's concerned that his army that's already scattering is going to be completely lost and then what's going to happen? The Philistines are really, you know, there's, there's nothing between the Philistines and Israel. But Saul's foolish decision is he keeps thinking like any other army commander. So he's no different to any other army commander at the time. He's just trying to work out what do I do to keep my army together because I need my army together to fight the battle. At no point in the story does he say that he asks God what to do. That's his error. 
he decides, well, Samuel's not here, I need to do the burnt offering thing because that's the only way that I can see that I can get out of this mess. And he's probably, we don't know, but he's probably a bit, where is Samuel? Why is he not here? Uh, but he makes a foolish decision. And does the job that Samuel was supposed to do about making the burnt offering. And the result is not good for Saul, but it's kind of good for Israel because Samuel says, you've acted foolishly. You didn't wait for me and you didn't ask God what to do. So because of that, your kingship will end because God wants to choose someone who is has got that relationship with God, who wants to who wants to go God's way and follow God's purposes. And you did it in this situation when push came to shove, your character came out, and you were trying to work it out yourself, not ask God for help. And maybe that's there's clearly parallels there with us, isn't there? Our default position at times can be, uh, I've got this problem, uh, I need to work it out myself, and uh, I can't really get so Sometimes there's really a very good answer, so I'll, do, I'll use the least worst option, which is kind of like what Saul's doing here. Uh, but actually, we should be asking God into the situation. And to paraphrase the rest of the chapter, what happens in the rest of the chapter is quite amazing, because despite the unequal odds, you remember, God works through partly through Saul's son, Jonathan, to cause some confusion in the Philistine army, but actually more fundamentally, God puts panic in the Philistine army that although there's, they are seriously outnumbering the Israelites, they panic and disperse and flee and the Israelites win the day, despite the odds. So in our second story, three, that we're doing just to tell this timeline of Saul, you can see he's starting to wobble. He's had the good start. But when push comes to shove, when he's got this real pressure cooker situation, he makes a foolish decision and doesn't ask God into the equation. Which takes us to our third story. Yeah, so our third story, uh, there's a little bit of a gap that you can go away and read for yourself. Uh, there are more battles, uh, there are lots of battles in, in this story. There are more battles against the Philistines. It's a really good story, go and read it over lunch afterwards. Um, but we're moving on to chapter 15 uh, in 1 Samuel. Uh, which is which is Saul's final test as king. Uh, how do you think he will do? He started very well. Uh, he has had a bit of a wobble. Um, let's do a little bit of audience participation. Put your hand up if you think that Saul does really well in this final test. Not a great, oh, oh Dave, Dave thinks he does. Uh, okay, so most of you do not think that Saul uh, does very well in this final test, and you would be uh, correct uh, about that. Um, because Saul is given a command, uh, Israel has another enemy to fight against uh, the Amalekites, um, and Saul is given a very simple, uh, but what sounds to us like quite a challenging uh, instruction. Uh, through Samuel, God tells Saul to go completely destroy uh, the Amalekites, to go strike at Amalek and devote to destruction all they have, do not spare them, and then says to go and kill uh, men, women, and all of their animals as well. Uh, and completely destroy them. And this seems maybe like a surprising or something that's unfair or unjust kind of thing for Saul to be asked to do. So a little bit of background uh, might be helpful. Um, the first thing to know is who are the Amalekites? Uh, so they were old enemies of Israel for hundreds of years. The Amalekites are not innocent, peace-loving people. 
when Israel came up from Egypt, uh, earlier in the story in the Old Testament, uh, to enter the Promised Land, the Amalekites attacked the Israelites. They attacked the people at the back of the, um, the kind of group of Israelites, the stragglers, the, uh, the weakest and most vulnerable people. Um, and the Amalekites have been unrepentant enemies of God and God's people for a long time. And God is just, and through Saul, God is bringing justice on uh, the Amalekites. Um, and justice is still part of his character today, although for us today, Jesus tells us to love our enemies um, and leave the justice to God. The second thing is that um, it's about handing the people over to God's judgment, and it says to devote to destruction, which means complete, completely destroying. Um, it's uh, saying God judges these people. Um, and why they to kill all the animals as well? The animals, uh, you know, they seem uh, innocent in all this. It's so that it's not a money-making exercise. Uh, it's, uh, it's all handed over to God. It's not just a way for the Israelites to get some more cows than sheep. And um, when uh, later on in the story that we're told again what God told Saul to do, it says, go and destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. And uh, Tim Chester explains really helpfully what's going on here uh, in his commentary, 1 Samuel, for you, which if you want to dig into this deeper, I really recommend. Um, he explains uh, that the judgment is not coming on the Amalekites because they are Amalekites, but because they are sinners. Tim Chester says, in this sense, it should alarm us, not because it is unfair, but because it is fair. Because, well, we are not Amalekites, we are sinners. Their destruction is a picture of what humanity deserves and faces from God. When judgment comes, nothing, nothing is left. And the key line of Tim Chester writes, which says, The effect of the Amalekites is not an exception from a bygone era. It is appointed in the coming day of judgment. And so if you're, if you're listening today and... Uh, this is concerning to you and you don't know about Jesus, then uh, you can find out more about him today. Come and speak to Paul or I or someone that you came with. Uh, Jesus is the solution to uh, this coming judgment. We can meet God as our, our friend and our saviour. Um, and there is a coming day of judgment. If you know Jesus, then we have the solution. Uh, we need to remember this is what people face if they don't know Jesus. There is coming judgment. And we need to understand uh, the heart of God and what he's doing and why uh, this is what Saul uh, really fails to understand. So he's given this simple and clear command uh, and if he trusts God he would follow it but uh, that is not how the story goes. We have a command that is broken, they go off, they kill the people but it says Saul and the people spared Agag, that's the king of the Amalekites um, and the best of the sheep and the oxen um, and the calves and the lambs, and all that was good, and they would not destroy them. So they were going through all the animals, they were picking out the best animals, and they were keeping those, uh, supposedly to give them to God, but probably to keep them for themselves. Um, and they were killing all the bad things, all the bad uh, animals with defects and things uh, like that. Now you might think, like with Paul's story, this seems like quite a small thing, uh, perhaps. Uh, but it's a picture, a little window into Saul's heart because Saul is the one choosing what to do, not God. Uh, Saul is choosing uh, which part of what God says to obey. And it really demonstrates for us that partial obedience to what God says to do is actually disobedience. Um, and it's helpful to remember Saul, I don't think, is 
uh, breaking the command because he's kind of being very kind and compassionate. Uh, it's basically a way to make more money. He probably uh, saved the king's life so that he could make some kind of deal, uh, maybe with the king's friends. And so if we're choosing which part of God's word to obey, then like so we are setting ourselves above God. Saul began filled with the spirit ruling under God, but here actually now Saul is the one who's deciding what to do. And then thirdly we have uh, some excuses uh, that were made. So God speaks to Samuel, uh, explaining that Saul has disobeyed uh, God. So Samuel goes to confront Saul uh, about uh, what's happened. And it's quite surprising if you go and read the story. Uh, Saul comes out uh, to meet Samuel, all smiles. He is really pleased uh, with himself, saying he's followed God's command uh, to destroy all the people and the animals. So then Samuel asks today um, a question, but it's quite funny when you, when you read it. He says, why can I hear these cows and these sheep if you're supposed to have killed them all? Now, what do you think Saul should do at this point? should tell the truth. But Saul doesn't do that. Saul tries to make excuses. Uh, Saul claims that he has obeyed, but he says that the people uh, took of the animals, that he couldn't stop them. Um, and eventually, uh, Saul does start to admit that maybe he got something wrong, and he says some good words about how sorry he is and how he broke God's command. But actually, Saul is really deceiving himself. Uh, he isn't really changing, and he's not really repenting. And he's actually more concerned about how he looks to other people uh, than about what's really going on uh, in his heart. Uh, Tim Chester, uh, again, says that sincere repentance leads to a changed life, which we don't see in Saul. Saul says the right words, but his heart doesn't change. Um, Saul started out in a very promising way, winning both uh, an outward battle and a battle in his heart. But here we see that he's partly doing the right thing on the outside, but not on the inside. And so the question for us is, how do we respond when our disobedience is maybe uncovered, when maybe, like Kate was saying uh, earlier, there are things we're not proud of that we uh, know that we need to deal with. Do we own up or do we cover up? And then thirdly, uh, oh, not thirdly, fourthly, we have uh, rejection made. So Saul is rejected uh, because of his disobedience. It would have been different if Saul had truly repented and truly uh, returned to God, but he does not. God says that uh, he's rejecting Saul because he has turned back from following him but has not performed my commands. So Saul will carry on as king for about 20 years, but God is not with him uh, any longer. Now, God uh, says that he regrets making Saul king, and this might raise a question in your mind, you know, that God does not change his mind, he even says it in the same uh, passage that you read. And so it sounds like God has changed his mind, or maybe God has changed, but actually God has not changed. The person who's changed in the story is Saul, Saul started off humble, he started off uh, saying, who am I that I should be king? Uh, but now he is proud. And God says that he will lift up those who are humble and bring down those who are proud. And so uh, when Saul was humble, God lifted him up and made him king. But now when Saul is proud, he is uh, cast down. This is actually an encouraging thing because God is consistent. God will do what he says he will do. Um, and so when we humble ourselves and when we truly repent and truly say sorry to God, uh, he will be consistent and he will be gracious towards us because that's what he has said he will do.
to us. So if you're hearing this and you're thinking, oh man, I've only partially obeyed God, I've not uh, done everything I should have done, uh, we can be confident that God will be gracious to us and will um, receive us back if we repent and we turn back to him. So to summarize uh, this story and uh, the rest of 1 Samuel, uh, we've had this uh, phrase that we have been uh, coming back to uh, multiple uh, times, uh, which is that God doesn't use extraordinary people to do extraordinary things. He uses ordinary people with faithful, obedient hearts to do extraordinary things. And that's still true. That's still true in this story, even if Saul is mostly the opposite of those things, that he is uh, unfaithful and disobedient. Uh, we can see, still see what God wants, uh, people who will obey him, who will completely do whatever he says. And so that's the story. It's a really whistle-stop tour. Do uh, keep exploring afterwards. Cool. There you go. Seven chapters in less than 70 minutes. Awful, that's quite impressive. Anyway, here we go. Now.